Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce the moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's uh, Cancer Care uh, workshop in collaboration and partnership with uh, Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, um, and you'll be hearing more from them soon. Um, and today's program is is titled For Caregivers, Informative Tips to Cope with Your Loved One's Bladder Cancer. And this is part two of Life with Bladder Cancer. And uh, today's uh, program is supported by EMD Serrano, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. And we have on the program today over 175 participants who come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, Nigeria, Ukraine, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call as well. And um, I really would like to thank all of you for spending this next hour with us um, as a group of caregivers who really want to know more about the role of caregiving, and we have expert speakers to address um, these uh, these topics. And um, before I introduce our first speaker, I just would like to ask all of you um, a few questions before we start to see uh, what you know coming into the program today. So um, I'm going to start with our first question. And our first question, and for those of you who are live streaming the call, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll be able to also rank the questions. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in decision-making for a loved one living with bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19, including adherence and follow-up care. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the stresses challenges and rewards of caregiving for a loved one living with bladder cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the challenges of managing family and friends in the context of COVID-19 during holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. I understand the role of a long-distance caregiver for a loved one living with bladder cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And this will be our last question. I understand stress management and self-care tips to promote caregiver resilience. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank all of you for participating in these questions. It helps us to better understand your um, your needs in these programs so that we can best tailor the programs to meet your needs. And now I'm going to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will address what research tells us about caregivers, managing family, friends, partners and traditions in the context of COVID-19, the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team in the context of COVID-19, 
and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments with guidelines, um, with guidelines in terms of technology, list of questions, adherence, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for all of you who have uh, signed on either uh, through the telephone or through the Internet to the uh, seminar today. These uh, Cancer Care Connect telephone calls have been uh, very popular over the years, and through the uh, recent pandemic, we've all learned to rely on electronics uh, maybe more than we ever had expected. So um, that's sort of the theme of uh, remarks that I have to make today. So uh, there's been some research um, in cancer in general about um, how we view what a identified patient is going through um, during the time of their diagnosis and treatment for cancer, and even afterwards as a cancer survivor. And um, the research is really centered around one main question, that if you ask the individual patient, him or herself, how she's feeling, uh, you may get a certain answer. Uh, sometimes that answer is colored by the fact that, that patients often don't want to disappoint their caregivers and tell them how badly they feel. Uh, but in general, um, when we get beyond the usual, how are you, I'm fine, to uh, how, what's really going on, how are you really doing, uh, we, we believe that the the patient's assessment of how they're doing uh, is sort of the, the closest that we're, we can get to really understanding how the patient, him or herself, is feeling, both physically and emotionally. If we ask uh, family members how the patient is doing, generally family members and friends overestimate how much distress the patient has because this is someone they know, uh, they love, uh, they may live with, or they have known for many, many years, and it hurts them to see uh, somebody going through the rigors of uh, diagnostic testing and treatment for cancer. If we ask that same profession, uh, that same question to the professionals who are caring for the patient, generally they underestimate the amount of distress somebody is having because of a number of sort of professional reasons. Um, People who work in cancer centers meet with patients and families all day, um, and they like to think that they're doing well uh, for the patients and the families, and they often underestimate the amount of distress. And this has been a a theme that's gone through um, the research about caregivers uh, from uh, quite a number of years now. Uh, There are additional stresses uh, depending upon the kind of cancer and the kind of treatment that someone is getting, if it's mostly ambulatory or outpatient or office-based or based uh, in the hospital uh, needing to be admitted uh, or even going to radiation therapy in one um, one of those settings. Um, In bladder cancer in particular, it's important to remember that many of the treatments are done either in the office or an infusion room uh, that may be located in a a private office or in a a, a freestanding cancer center or at a hospital. And because of the recent um, problems with COVID-19 and introducing um, the the fear of introducing new uh, covid uh, into these settings, 
Often uh, family members and friends are excluded from sitting with a patient or even visiting a patient um, in the recovery room after surgery or waiting with a patient for radiation therapy. This is a stress on everybody. It's a stress on the individual patient who can feel somewhat lonely. It's a stress on the caregivers who would like to be there with the patient to help them. And it's a stress on the um, staff in these uh, centers because they often feel that they're not doing enough for people and they know that they have a number of tasks to do and, and can't be sitting with someone um, as a family member can. So again, in, in bladder cancer and, and in different cancers, because the treatments are different, the configuration of how this works can be different as well. Um, with the uh, change from all in-person visits to many more visits via telehealth, and that's sort of a general description of um, getting your visit with your provider either on a regular telephone or on um, some sort of video device, if it's a computer or a tablet or on a smartphone that can handle both video and audio um, exchange of information. This is something that we all jumped into very quickly um, when uh, lockdowns began in, uh, through the pandemic. And it is hard to know how much of that is going to stay. There are some advantages and disadvantages of that. Certainly, um, the disadvantages are that um, the providers can't actually physically examine somebody physically um, through through a device. There are some uh, kinds of monitors that are being developed, but for most of us, uh, we, we can't really do an abdominal exam or touch anything um, or listen to something through the telephone or through a computer. There are a number of advantages, and the advantages are um, that uh, patients often have to come into the hospital many times for follow-ups during um, the diagnostic phase, especially during treatment and after treatment, and many of those are now done through telehealth. The other advantage is that um, patients uh, almost always like to have someone with them at a visit both to write down uh, what's been said because it's hard to keep track of everything um, and to be able to organize questions and make, make sure to remember to get the prescriptions before you leave or the referrals or the paperwork. And it's very helpful to have somebody with you to do that. Um, that's been difficult for family members and friends who you feel may be the best, um, the best person to do that, but either are working or live in another city or in another state or even in another country. And now with telehealth, as long as someone has the, um, uh, can get onto a reliable internet connection, that can happen um, from anywhere on the world, which is, you know, amazing um, and something that uh, we never thought of before. Yes, sometimes patients would have family members call in, but it's, that was usually really just an audio call and it wasn't always as, and they, they couldn't be as involved as they are now when everybody is on the screen. So there have been advantages and disadvantages to this. And we have, over the last number of months, able to figure out how to do this better. So um, if you're going to have a telehealth visit with a provider, 
make sure that at least the day before you confirm the time, you know what device is going to be used. If it's going to be just an audio call on a telephone, be that a landline or a cell phone, or if it's going to be video, exactly what's going to happen. Who's going to call whom? Um, is it going to be on a regular um, video platform or system where you could visit relatives in another city or another state or another country, or is it going to be done con con conducted through the hospital or office's electronic medical record system, and we call that the platform. So it would be important a day before to have all that information in place, especially who's going to call whom and at what time. The other thing that's important is because of the electronic connections, it's a good idea to make sure to have a quiet place to have the call and have uh, whoever's going to be with you, with you in the room, whoever is going to be online from another location, also being, uh, find out if they're calling in or will be called. Um, preparing the questions in advance, it can be very helpful uh, because once the call is over, it's hard to call back um, and then you'll have to leave a message. Somebody will have to call you back. So getting everything done in the time makes sense and lists and reminders um, are, are the way to go with that. Um, and then practice. If it's a first call, some, sometimes offices will actually do like a dry run uh, with the office manager or with the receptionist just to make sure that, that everybody knows how to connect and that the uh, visit will go most efficiently. Um, be sure to be able to try to communicate exactly how you're feeling on the call. Again, without the, the benefit of a physical exam, that can be hard, but can be possible. And uh, patients have been doing it now successfully for many, many months. Uh, I'll just finish with one last important item, which is because of uh, so much has moved into these electronic platforms. Many uh, uh, doctor's offices or freestanding cancer centers or uh, cancer centers and hospitals will use a platform that also includes access to a patient's records. So you would have a protected and private as uh, access to your own records. Sometimes um, those records are posted or they're available for you to read before one of the providers can help um, make some sense out of it with you. These are many of these uh, these reports are highly technical. There's a lot of information, and often they list what's abnormal and normal, especially on lab tests. And sometimes an abnormal test is what we expect. It's not bad. It's Good. Um, and that all has to be explained in context. So whether it's a lab test, a blood test, or urine test, or an x-ray report, an imaging study, an x-ray, a CAT scan, an MRI, certainly a pet cat, um, or, or a biopsy report from the pathologist, it's important to review these with someone who understands the medical language, understands the context of cancer treatment and where you are in that treatment. So um, it'd be really a good thing if things do appear before someone can actually um, have uh, answer your questions and really explain things in everyday language, not to read those and jump to the wrong conclusions. It's very attractive to do it, but it can really 
make for a lot of uh, unnecessary distress. So just keep that in mind as we're moving from everything live to this new electronic medium. We, we need to understand how it can help us and how it can also sometimes worsen our distress unless it's done in the proper way. With that, I'll turn this back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful overview of um, really many of the issues that caregivers are confronting. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker um, is uh, is Allison Arade, and Miss um, um, Arade is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and she'll be addressing the stresses, challenges, and rewards of caregiving, coping with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions in the context of COVID-19, long-distance caregivers, and self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Sarardi. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, and thank you to everybody who has joined, as well as Dr. Fleischman. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, you know, just get started with talking about some of the, the stresses and challenges, right? So with caregiving comes stresses and stressors and challenges, but also rewards throughout the entire cancer experience. So some of the common challenges that caregivers, so you all listening may be experiencing, um, can lead to stress or, you know, financial strain, workplace issues, anticipatory grief, uh, balancing caregiver responsibility with personal responsibilities, as well as burnout. And caregivers um, often may not even recognize that they are burnt out until it feels too late, right? So what are the signs of burnout? What can you look out for? So that way, you know, you can be aware of where you're at, not only physically, but emotionally. So signs of burnout can include getting sick more easily with the common cold or the flu, difficulty concentrating, prolonged feelings of hopelessness, chronic anxiety, as well as impatience for the person that you're caring for. And this is among many others, right? Um, there are many other signs of, of burnout, but these are some, just a few. And it's so important for caregivers, for you all to practice self-care and reach out to your support network in order to mitigate burnout, right? Decrease these feelings of burnout, decrease these feelings of chronic anxiety, um, prolonged feelings of hopelessness, et cetera. And caregiving during COVID-19, right, for now almost, you know, the last two years, we're very close to two years now, has added a lot of new challenges for caregivers to navigate. So caregivers are continuing to manage all of the challenge I mentioned previously, right? So that was financial strain, that was workplace issues. But now you're doing that during a pandemic. So caregivers have the added stress to keep themselves and their loved ones safe, and you likely do so by disinfecting high-touch surfaces or wearing masks, washing hands frequently, and social distancing. Not only do these new responsibilities add pressure, this new way of living can also reduce time and space to practice self-care if practices had included maybe leaving the house or going to the gym, maybe spending time with other people, which can lead, you know, can also take an emotional toll and lead to those feelings of 
burnout. And with the holiday season, you know, <laughs> has started, right? We had a holiday last week. The December holidays have started. Um, I also want to take some time to talk more about how to navigate all special occasions during COVID-19, not just the holidays, but special occasions that can include birthdays or anniversaries, uh, maybe graduations. Um, it's important to talk with your loved one's medical team to discuss the event as well as, you know, the potential risk. If your loved one is not comfortable spending a special occasion with a large number of people, caregivers should absolutely do their best to respect that decision and also reflect on their feelings, their meaning the caregivers, in a safe space. Um, that space could be in an individual space, a group space. And caregivers and patients can work together to adjust or even create new traditions during these times. So because the pressure to keep up with traditions can be really heavy. So please give yourself that permission to create new ones or make adjustments or changes. This is really also a great time to take advantage of technology so you can still connect with family and friends safely. Um, right. So previously we're talking about technology in terms of telehealth, but technology can also help us in our personal lives through things like Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or just even over the telephone to be connected with our family and friends in a safe way. If you as a caregiver as well as your loved one do decide to join family or friends for a special occasion, it's absolutely encouraged to engage in those safety practices, right? So including uh, wearing a mask, if maintaining that six feet is not possible or when indoors, um, disinfecting high-touch surfaces and washing your hands frequently. But of course, always remember, if you are not feeling well or if your loved one is not feeling well, stay home, right? Um, and especially now during the pandemic, caregivers can absolutely find themselves hours away from their loved one. But that does not mean you are not able to provide meaningful um, can either be, you know, caregivers that have always lived an hour, two hours, even longer away from their loved one, or long-distance caregivers can, you know, this can be a new transition. Maybe you were living an hour away, but you often made time weekly or a few times a week to get to your loved one's um, residence or home. And now in the context of COVID-19, that either you know, may have stopped for a period of time or a much more, um, you know, these trips are more infrequent, right? Um, so long distance caregivers can help with a lot of practical concerns, <clears throat> excuse me, like uh, setting up appointments, applying for financial assistance. They can also be in touch with local family and friends to assign tasks that might be helpful for your loved one. And if you are a long-distance caregiver, remember to take care of yourself as well. Caregiving is not easy, no matter the distance. So it's important to look for local support groups for that additional support to reduce that feeling of isolation, but also to give yourself credit for all of the efforts that you are making. 
Caregivers, primary or long distance, have the right to care for themselves, and even with all of the obstacles caregivers face, there are ways to help reduce those feelings of stress and anxiety. Self-care techniques that caregivers like yourself can practice can include journaling, um, whether that be just journaling right in the morning or maybe it's a gratitude journal. You can also create routines, morning and nighttime routines, um, to kind of give yourself a piece of your day that is reasonably consistent, um, that you can know pretty much for sure that your morning and nighttime routine will be relatively the same because with cancer, a lot of it is uncertain. You can also practice techniques like progressive muscle relaxation, um, slow, slow breathing or other breathing techniques, as well as so many other mindful practices. Joining support groups, engaging in the individual support, connecting with types of workshops, whether that be educational like what we're doing today um, or just a way to meet and connect with other caregivers are also really important ways to reduce stress and anxiety, but again, reduce those feelings of isolation. All discussed previously can help with the management of stress and promote caregiver resilience. And I wanna wrap up um, by talking about the rewards of caregiving. So earlier on, I was talking about the stressors, the challenges, the obstacles, um, but there are so many rewards of caregiving. And at times, rewards may feel harder to acknowledge, but they absolutely exist. Being a caregiver can help inspire a sense of purpose and meaning. Caregiving can also build a deeper connection between loved ones. But on a broader level, caregiving can also help create new or and positive communication skills, right? improve understanding of needs, and even offer, offer clearer priorities for the caregiver. Rewards of caregiving are not limited to only improving the relationship with your loved one. They can also help you learn new things about yourself or even how to interact with the world and people around you. So even though we focus a lot on the challenges of caregiving, those rewards do exist, even if they might take a little bit more effort for us to uncover. And with that, I will turn this back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Riley. That was really wonderful and a lot of um, very helpful tips for um, caregivers on the call today um, with a focus on caregiving, of course. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thank you so much. Um, and uh, our next speaker is Dr. Stephanie Chisholm. And Dr. Chisholm is Director of Education and Research um, the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, and um, Dr. Chisholm will be addressing the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, BCAN, free programs and services, and the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network website and helpline, and how to email them as well. So it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to Dr. Chisholm, who is actually partnering with us today on this program and does partner with us on all of our Bladder Cancer Advocacy programs. Um, Dr. Chisholm? Thanks so much, Dr. Messer. It's great to be here as part of this, and I really appreciate having, you know, all of these great speakers talking about the stress of being a cancer caregiver. This is a really significant uh, issue, and I think 
the quote from the actress and singer Lena Horne that really sticks with me about this is it's not the load that breaks you, it's how you carry it. And I think that that really comes into play in caring for patients who have bladder cancer because bladder cancer has a high rate of recurrence. It's very expensive to treat. It requires a lot of surveillance, and it has some very life-altering treatments involved. So some key issues that I think are really important that a caregiver needs to keep in mind is you're often going to have to help that loved one kind of adjust to their new normal. Perhaps they had bladder removal surgery or they're on immunotherapy or they have to go through what we call intravesical therapy where they're treated inside their bladder for those tumors that are local and inside their bladder. These are all things that are psychologically can be very burdensome for somebody to deal with, and you might have to be there to provide support for that. Um, You also might consider what you need to do to help your patient toward the end of life. Those are some very serious issues that we need to face, and it's way better to have those conversations when both the patient who has the disease and the caregiver are in a good and safe mindset. Those kinds of things really do help. And your feelings really are important. And when you get stressed out, if you're the island that everybody climbs on to save them and you go down, then everybody's going to go down. So it's really important. And Beacon has a number of resources, including some webinars about the topic on our website, bcan.org. So just use the search feature. We have a free Tips for Caregivers book and Episode 16 of our Bladder Cancer Matters podcast is specifically featuring a bladder cancer caregiver who talks about her experience helping her husband as he goes through bladder cancer and his diagnosis and treatment. So those are all great resources. I encourage you to visit us at bcan.org or call our helpline 888-901-BCAN or send us an email at info at bcan.org, and you'll find a lot of great free resources there for you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Shisham. That's a wonderful resource and uh, wonderful for people to have access to um, the BCAN as a resource um, uh, to turn to. And we actually partner with BCAN because actually it is the only bladder cancer organization out there, and so um, it's great to work directly with you. Thank you. Um, and... Um, so um, I'm just going to say a few words about uh, the services of cancer care so that you can also be aware of those as well. Um, uh, cancer, uh, I'm, I'm Carolyn Mester. I'm Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. And so we have a number of free programs and services that we offer. Um, and one is that you can actually contact Cancer Care on our Hope Line at 800-813-4673 and speak with one of our oncology social workers um, like Allison Rade um, or many of our oncology social workers who are here to answer your questions and concerns. And we help people with all types of cancers at all ages. Um, and we have support groups as well. Um, we also offer um, a lot of uh, case management services, online support groups, telephone support groups. Um, we also offer a number of of programs that give financial assistance to people 
and uh, also help with co-payment assistance as well, which is incredibly important during this time, more so at this time than ever before. People are facing financial insecurity, um, and um, so our case management unit often helps people as well in accessing um, resources um, that may be in their own community that they don't know of or nationally as well. Um, and we also have a number of uh, really, um, really very innovative uh, types of groups, um, which we call um, actually um, way, ways to wellness groups and also mindfulness meditation groups. And those are very helpful to people as well. So you can contact Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673, or you may visit us on our website at www.cancercare.org. And now we do have time for questions. Um, we have actually a lot of time for questions, and so um, we're going to actually um, move on to questions at this point. And I'm going to ask uh, Michelle to bring up all of our questions and uh, um, tell, let, let us let our audience know how to ask questions, and we'll let the questions begin, uh, Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your questions have been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by asking a question. And actually, before we move into the questions, we do want to actually um, ask people just a few um, more questions before we move into the question part of the of this program. So I'm going to ask just a few more questions, just again to get a sense of what you've learned during the program today. Um, so um, I'm going to start with the first question. Um, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of a caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in decision-making for a loved one living with bladder cancer, including adherence and follow-up care. And for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to see these questions and be able to answer them. So one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the stresses and challenges and rewards of caregiving for a loved one living with bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of managing family and friends in the context of COVID-19 during holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now with just two questions left, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of the long-distance caregiver for a loved one living with bladder cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the very last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of utilizing stress management and self-care tips to promote caregiver resilience. One is the highest rating and five, the lowest rating. Okay. And now we will move on to the questions. <laughs> so um, again, um, Michelle, if you could explain to the audience how to queue up for questions, that would be great. Sure. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. For those of you on the web, you may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. 
And so we have a question um, from one of our um, online participants. Um, so I want to help my father, but he has always been a proud man. I can clearly see he needs help, um, but always refuses assistance. Um, um, I know he struggles. What should I do? Allison, could you address this question, please? Sure. So the most that this is Allison, um, the most that we can do for a loved one is to let them know that there are resources available. Um, it will have to be, you know, your father's choice to accept the resources or support or services. But sometimes the best thing that we can do is tell them what services are available. If it's something like counseling and I've been involved in counseling before and I want my loved one to be involved, what I can offer them is it's been so beneficial for me and I think it could be beneficial for you for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, so it's, we, all we can do is just offer that support and remind them that there are resources available and when they feel ready to ask for that help, um, you know, just letting them know that you will be there to, to help them with that. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything to that? I think that's really good advice. Sometimes, uh, if that doesn't work, uh, sometimes <laughs> what can also help is reminding somebody that we all need help at some times in our lives, mm -hmm. even when we were uh, just born or when we were younger, and we help each other out, and that's just how things are. And, and sometimes that puts it in a proper context and makes it a little easier. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and also, Allison, can you say a little bit more about the, um, about, uh, you know, the support groups we have for caregivers? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we have um, live support groups. We also have online support groups, which are in a, uh, a writing, it's a writing-based group. They are moderated by oncology social workers. Um, they are incredible. Um, both the live and the online support groups that are available. Our online groups have a lot of different um, caregiver-specific um, groups available, whether that be um, relationship-specific or diagnosis-specific. Um, so they are absolutely incredible in not only, you know, brainstorming, problem-solving suggestions, um, but just decreasing that feeling of, of isolation is, is truly something really great that comes out of those groups. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and then there is the issue of um, any websites that we can recommend for, um, uh, for caregivers that might be useful to them. Um, Allison, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So um, there are definitely a number of, you know, great, great resources to be able to provide. So that can absolutely look like um, the Family Caregiver Alliance, the National Alliance on Caregiving, um, Cancer Care, right, of course. Um, there's also organizations like Cancer Support Community that are not completely specific to caregivers, but still offer services to caregivers as well. Um, and then also there's websites like um, my Cancer Circle and Caring Bridge, which are not um, 
for like educational material or connecting with other caregivers, but what they do is they provide a really great platform for caregivers to provide updates or schedule and delegate tasks to other family and friends in the area, and that really takes the pressure off of caregivers. It's just a one-stop shop for updates and, and, and delegating tasks. So it really um, makes things a lot, a lot easier for a caregiver just to put it out there once. Excellent. And I believe that BCAN also has a number of different support mechanisms for people as well mm-hmm. to contact. So it's a wonderful resource as well. Um, so that um, there are many resources out there for um, for caregivers. And actually at the end of today's program, well, actually tomorrow, you'll be getting um, a list of all the resources. You'll be getting um, a survey monkey evaluation. But in that evaluation, which we would appreciate your filling out, there also will be a... Um, a list of all the caregiving resources, many of which Allison mentioned, with their websites and their telephone numbers and all that information so it will really make it easier for you to go ahead and realize that you're not alone and that there's a lot of organizations out there for you um, absolutely um, to contact. And Allison, can you say a little bit more about our um, ways to uh, to wellness and the mindful um meditation groups that we're offering that are national and that are really quite mm-hmm. quite helpful to people as well? Yeah, so our Mindful Moments um, Coping Circle Series workshop, um, I do um, host that. Um, this is a specific national um, program open to all caregivers, and it's an opportunity to focus on self-care. So we meet once a month. Um, this is our, we're in our second cycle. We do this on four um, for four meetings a cycle, and each month features a new self-care practice for caregivers to learn about, to engage in, and then also discuss. Um, so again, that is national, that is open to all caregivers um, across the United States. And then our Ways to Wellness is hosted by another one of our oncology social workers. This is open to both caregivers and people diagnosed with cancer as a way to help learn about different different ways of coping with their diagnosis. So um, some of the up, upcoming meetings are, you know, ungrounding healing practices, um, low-impact fitness. Um, there's a meeting on nutrition as well. Um, so that is um, absolutely a national program as well, and I do believe it is also ongoing. Um, so there there should be more more meetings to come in the future as well. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and then the issue of, of course, the holidays coming up. And I wonder, Dr. Fleischer, if you could comment on this. So I usually host my family for the holidays, but the extra expense and planning is too much this year um, while my uh, spouse is being treated for cancer. How can I tell my family I can't host the holiday, um, these holiday um, gatherings? If you could comment on that, Dr. Fleischman. Sure. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about this, not just if someone in the family has cancer or another illness, but because of COVID, many uh, family gatherings that traditionally have been held for years in someone's house um, are now um, up for question. Um, If you really don't feel that you can, um, depending upon your situation and the situation of the people who you may invite, if they're local, if they're coming from far away, if they're flying, if they're driving extensively, 
um, one of the things you may want to think about is an electronic celebration. As odd as it has been for all of us to move into electronic provider appointments uh, during and after cancer treatment, it's also extremely unusual for all of us to get used to having family um, dinners and events online through screens. But many of us have had to do that um, because uh, people are in other parts of the country, other parts of the world where travel isn't uh, always so safe, where um, vaccination rates are not really high and, and it is hard to exclude somebody who hasn't been vaccinated. But on the other hand, there, if there are young children um, around who can't get qualify for vaccination yet or people who are uh, medically compromised, it's a very hard call. So sometimes, um, and, and it has been widespread these last two years that all of us had ha have had to um, adapt our holiday um, traditions because of um, a worldwide pandemic. And you can really use what we've learned about that for uh, someone in the family, someone in the family has an illness where gathering in person may be difficult or even hazardous. So I would think about something um, over the telephone or if you have the technology online, um, many of the online platforms uh, allow you to, to have short, um, short uh, interactions. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a half hour or 40 minutes of the advantages from place to place. So you can celebrate together, um, even if uh, you don't have access to a subscription. It's an excellent point, and actually, um, I've, a number of our uh, patients are really um, uh, having uh, using actually Zoom technology actually to get family together for holidays and, and Thanksgiving and all the holidays um, because they really uh, for the issues that Dr. Um, Fleischer has addressed that it's really very difficult to actually um, to bring everybody together um, um, in person. And so um, uh, people are, some members of the family, and sometimes it's younger members of the family are setting up sort of technology um, uh, so that you can see the children and the family and almost feel like you're with them in, in person. It's kind of an in-person feeling um, that one has. And Alice, do you want to say more about that too? Because it's really been quite, um, and also a, a, a concern, of course, is a variant and uh, the newest variant. And I think that people are a little bit more reluctant now to even, if they were planning to do this, to maybe um, scale back a bit. And so I wondered if you could comment on this as well, what you're seeing in, from people calling the hope line and things like that. Yeah, no, it actually um, very recently, um, as recently as in last night, came up in my in um, one of my support groups, and it is really difficult. It's hard to, you know, make the decision on what feels comfortable and what does not. Um, and I think that all that we can do and, and all we've been able to do over the last nearly two years is to do what makes us feel safe. Um, so, you know, continuing to, you know, just practice social distancing, wearing our masks, washing our hands often, disinfecting high surfaces. Um, if you do, if caregivers and, and family members and, and patients do want to spend the holidays or special occasions together, um, for someone who doesn't know how to say, you know, no, I'm, I can't host the holidays, um, absolutely shifting and, you know, adjusting your traditions, using technology to help with that. But, you know, also 
choose to be honest and, and say that that's not something that's within their comfort level. Um, but it's absolutely, and, and I think as um, things like variants come up, um, I think that, you know, the anxiety and the fear absolutely will, will increase, um, and I think it has been. Um, but it's still the most that we can do is just to do what we, what we can do to protect ourselves and, and not do anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. And our amazingly resilient group of people, to some extent, um, we've all gotten through um, these past two years um, rather remarkably, I, I must say, in, in terms of um, observing the remarkable resilience of many of the people that we've had that um, opportunity to work with and just to see how creative people have been in, in doing that. And I think that uh, I think um, the resilience of of our population is extraordinary, I must say. And, um, and it does sometimes come from all different ages and, uh, and children reaching out, you know, uh, to good parents and uh, uncles and aunts and cousins and, you know, people who also, you know, people do have, our families now are all across the board. They are really, um, we think of often, um, some of, some of, some of you live in areas where, where, um, everyone lives very close to each other, but some of you live with relatives that are far away who perhaps you send notes to or cards to and holiday greetings to and things like that. And, and again, some of our, um, young adults or our teens are quite creative in actually, um, in coming up with ways to um, to reach out, and I think that's been a, a amazing to be able to see each other um, at a time when we're kind of feeling like we, you know, particularly when there are children growing up in a family. It's really amazing to see, you know, the different ages over the time of the holidays and stuff like that. So it's a kind of a a very important time um, to um, involve all members of the family in in technology, in, in, in their skill sets, um, and to make this a very um, important time to engage everyone um, in, in, in trying to make this as, as really an important time as possible for all of us. It's been very important. Do you, do you find that to be the case as well, Dr. Fleischman? Yes, absolutely. Things are not the same as they were pre-pandemic, and we have to learn from it. Yeah, we've really learned, and it's amazing um, – how much we have all learned um, and continue to learn. And, and actually, as challenging as it may be for all of us, it's also um, very, very amazing. Um, it, it, as I think, as um, Allison has pointed out, it's stressful, but it's also, um, I think also, um, it's also, um, there are rewards in finding new ways to kind of reach each other. That's really been kind of really the most remarkable thing of all. Um, and then a question came about, are there any apps that can be um, used um, to help uh, stay organized and, uh, and taking care of each other? And uh, um, Allison, do you want to comment on that? Yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know if there are apps. Um, I can, my Cancer Circle and Caring Bridge are websites, um, but they, they may be apps. Um, I, actually, I actually do not know. Um, yeah, but, but but those are two websites, My Cancer Circle and Caring Bridge. Um, and then other ways, I mean, if we're just talking to keep organized and keep structured, you know, using your, your calendar apps or go old-fashioned, which is what I prefer, and, and having a planner and, and, you know, writing everything out so I have it clear um, and it's been written down. 
Um, but yeah, about apps, I, I actually, I actually don't know. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we may have some out there, and I think that um, it's good to check different websites and see who who has different things because I think um, again um, there are again the inventiveness of um, many of the organizations, and of course um, many um, in terms of connecting up with each other is are very important. Um, and um, and then the issue of um, the issue of um, accepting. Um, dealing with um, with diagnosis and and coping with all the issues that are involved can be very very challenging. And I guess Dr. Fleischman, do you want to comment on that? Sure. When it, when it comes to bladder cancer, I mean, sometimes there's kind of a, an additional stigma that uh, some people feel because they may have a urostomy tube or other device. Um, that uh, some folks are afraid will disconnect or they'll have an accident and it'll be embarrassing. Um, from uh, my perspective, uh, the uh, devices are a lot safer than they used to be and there are fewer of these type of incidents. But it, because of it's, it's, the cancer is in a, a, a part of the body that we consider sort of private parts, um, it becomes an additional factor, and uh, making sure that uh, you know everything is hooked up well, and if you do travel or people come to to you, that you have uh, an extra bag, an extra tube, whatever it takes, so that you could go into the bathroom and fix it and avoid any of those embarrassing moments. It's just an extra uh, factor with bladder cancer that may not happen with other types of cancer, and it's something just to keep in mind. Excellent. And um, another issue that comes up a lot is that um, the issue of not being able to go to appointments with a family member or not being able to accompany them. Um, so the question that's come up a lot is in terms of just not being able to accompany someone. I think that's that's been the most difficult for caregivers, uh, I think, uh, um, of just not being able to accompany someone, even to just a regular doctor's appointment um, that people used to be able to be there and be that extra set of ears. And again, can you comment on that, Dr. Fleisch, from those extra set of ears that people really used to rely so much on and now really can't? Um, they uh, kind sure. of, um, um, or can you, or can you talk about the creative use of telehealth and telemedicine as well? Sure. All of us are patients at one point or another, ourselves and in our families, and all of us, providers included, have had either appointments themselves or appointments for family members uh, and had to sit out in the car, <laughs> not in the best weather sometimes, um, when uh, your family member or good friend uh, is in an appointment and you can't get in the building even though uh, you don't have a temperature, you feel fine and, and unlikely to have COVID just because of restrictions. And that's imp those restrictions are important, but it has happened to all of us. Um, if those situations arise, often um, the patient is, is advised in advance when the appointment is confirmed that um, only they'll be led into the office or into the building. And at that point, it may be ask, ask for a hybrid visit. Ask if um, the uh, patient with the provider can actually turn on their cell phone and either um, make a phone call to or uh, 
a video call to the family member who would like to be there or who the patient would want to be there so they can participate. And uh, most offices are extremely willing to do that now from my experience. Excellent. Yeah, that's an excellent point in terms of just really um, the accommodation of the um, of many offices to uh, allowing the the patient to to, to be there during the um, during that um, during that visit with a doctor, and that's been so important, I think, for um, for family members because they have that extra set of ears. They can have as many people as they want. Is that correct, Dr. Fleischman, on the on the um, on the video call, as long as they give permission for that? Oh, you you could, <laughs> but it's uh, I, I think back to pre-COVID days when. People said, uh, patients were having a family meeting and we'd be in a room with one patient and 12 other family members. <laughs> it often isn't so well organized. So I would pick the one or maybe two people who you feel are best at understanding, keeping notes, and asking questions. And I would limit it to your two best because otherwise the, the crowd may, may not be so well organized and it may take away from your visit. It's true. It's having so selecting who you want to be there is just so important, um, really. Um, and and uh, and and also, um, most offices are very, as I think Dr. Fleischman said, are very accommodating to having multiple, um, you know, having multiple people on um, on a on a conference call. Um, uh, particularly if it's a new diagnosis. We have a question here from someone who's a newly diagnosed or someone who has reached a point where they really want to have someone else on board. Um, that's also very important as well. Um, so I think um, all of that becomes very important at different points in the diagnosis as well. Um, I think that's really... Um, so now as we're about to conclude the call, um, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to just give a bit of a takeaway points for um, our participants to think about what um, actually, um, I'll start with Dr. Fleischman, but what you think um, are really important takeaways for people to have um, from this call today as caregivers. And, and I'm going to start with Dr. Fleischman, if you'd like to say some things about just what people you'd like people to really remember most about this call today. Surely. I, I think the most important takeaway message is that um, we have all learned how to handle many things, whether it's visits with our providers or um, family gatherings remotely. And although uh, there are advantages, there are some disadvantages as well. And um, we need to sort of learn how to make the most of, of what we have. Um, hopefully this won't be a permanent thing. But I think as time goes by, we're going to get better at doing these calls. The technology will get better. And it may be um, an alternative, especially spending holidays for people who are really far away. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. That is true. It opens up that door of being able to see people who are, are far away. That's a very good point. Um, and Ms. Arade, do you want to comment as well? Yeah, just um, if we're talking about just you know a you know a, a takeaway, right? Um, <clears throat> is that caregivers, um, although not diagnosed with cancer, although not going through cancer treatment, um, this is a challenging and emotional and a painful experience. Um, you are taking this journey even if it is in uh, a different way, a different context. Um, but this is still an incredibly stressful and emotional time. 
So the takeaway is remember that you are absolutely just as deserving um, of support and self-care and, um, you know, the question, the genuine question of, you know, how are you? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, you are absolutely, you know, you, you deserve that, that type of support as well. You deserve the time to take a step back um, and you deserve to also pursue um, interests and hobbies and goals that um, are outside of the, the cancer experience. So my main takeaway would be that you are just as deserving um, of essentially absolutely everything that uh, your loved one is as well. And in terms of any particular stress management tips that you'd like to leave people with in terms of that would be really helpful or even to give a breathing exercise on the program today? Um, so there is, I mean, for a specific breathing exercise, I usually actually prefer to do um, or offer the square breathing technique, which is um, there's something similar called the, the 478 technique, but with the square breathing, it's inhaling right through your nose for four counts. You're holding that breath for four counts, and then you're exhaling as well through the mouth for four counts. Um, and then holding again for four counts. So it's this very structured and quote-unquote square um, breathing, and, and each motion is, is for four counts. Um, the other, if something structured doesn't, you know, is, does not appeal to you and, and you want it to just be more fluid, I guess, um, it's really simple to just do 10-counted breaths. Um, you know, inhale and you count one, you exhale, you count two, and then when you get to ten, when you get to ten, you start all over. Um, and those are just ways to slow everything down. Um, when we're anxious, we might have really shallow breathing. So um, we want to just slow down the breathing, slow down the heart rate, um, so that way we can get to a little bit of a calmer mindset. Thank you. Well, this has been an amazing uh, call today, I have to say, um, and it's, it couldn't be more timely in terms of just the time of year and also um, the, the emphasis on, on caregivers who are often, you know, the caregivers are often so preoccupied with um, taking care of someone else that they often forget about, you know, themselves and and um, because their whole focus is on the person who's dealing with a lot of cancer, with any type of cancer, and and so this is a call that we really want to do, particularly during November, which is a Caregiver Month, uh, National Caregiver Awareness Month, um, that we actually um, are very un- cognizant that this is a month set aside specifically, that every every month, every day should be there for caregivers actually um, to be focusing on the needs of caregivers. Um, and so um, that's such an important um, takeaway from today's program. Um, we will be doing many programs for for caregivers throughout the year, of course, um, and uh, and we will um, we will not want to forget caregivers. And most importantly, we don't want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with uh, cancer, with bladder cancer. We want you to know that you're now part of a community of support, and that we're here for you. And we're here for you in in many different ways. And um, and you now have all these resources to contact, and we want you to be sure to take advantage of them. So the takeaway from today basically is um, you're not alone. You're now connected to a lot of resources that can help you. And although it is very tempting to feel alone, it's normal to feel alone, actually, um, in dealing with cancer and dealing with cancer during 
of this pandemic, and um, we also want you to know that you're um, that you're you're not forgotten, and that we want you to to take advantage of these services. And we're only a phone call or a mouse clip away from uh, from your being able to uh, contact us. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participation. This concludes today's workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.